Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word, you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be open to know your truth and your way. Amen. Today we're going to read from Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 5. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon a tower, and I will look forth to see what he will speak with me, and what I shall answer concerning my complaint. And Jehovah answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tablets that he may run and that readeth it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time, and it hasteth toward the end, and shall not lie through it, though it tarry and wait, because it will surely come, and it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright in him, but the righteous shall live in his faith. Yea, moreover, wine is treacherous, and a haughty man that keepeth not at home, who enlargeth his desire as Sheol, and he as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth upon him all peoples. The word of God for the people of God. I uh, remember being a little kid, and I would sit at the kitchen table. We had an eating kitchen growing up. It was like a, an L-shaped sort of galley-esque kitchen. And on one corner was the little Eden. Uh, and my dad was sitting there and he had this habit of reading what he called the funnies. Um, and we're big Garfield fans in our house. Uh, the author is from Fairfield, Indiana. And so we were uh, sort of always reading Garfield. Uh, my dad loved Calvin and Hobbes and he passed that love on to me. And we would uh, sit there and he'd start laughing and be like, Dad, what are you laughing about? And he goes, you got to read this panel. And he slided over to me. Uh, but I remember one uh, day in particular was a little different. We were sitting at the table and my dad began to sort of do one of these numbers. And I was like, what's wrong? He's like, my arms aren't long enough. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand. Dad, what? He's like, I can't, I can't see it as well. You know, his eyes were beginning to change and shift on him as he got a little bit older. And it's funny because I think oftentimes, at least I had this sort of mentality or this understanding that some things never change. Uh, I'll always be Josh. I'll always have my physical abilities about me. But those of you who um, are older than me and those of you who are older than the person on your left and right uh, know that that's not entirely true. Uh, things change and things develop and things evolve or maybe devolve, right, you could say, as we age in different ways. Nothing uh, stays the same, certainly not our eyesight. Did you know that ears continue to grow through your entire life and your nose as well? It's just strange. So when someone says, like, you've got a cute button nose, just wait 40 years. And then they won't have a cute button nose anymore, right? You'd be like, oh, you've got a great nose. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, but some things always change. Um, we have this assumption that things will stay the same. We have this assumption that, like, your eyes will always be able to see what they see today. And it's just not the case. If you read Augustine uh, in his book, The City of God, which I really don't recommend to you, quite frankly. It's a spiritual classic. It's like this big, and if you're having trouble sleeping, read that book, uh, really. It's a little dry, but Augustine uh, was a, a, a bishop of the early church, and he lived uh, in the fifth century. And he lived during a very particular, tumultuous time, if you know anything about the fifth century. In the year 410, Rome falls. It is sacked. 
by the barbarians, and it is gone. It is weighed-laced. The whole entire government of Rome is in just dismantled and falls apart, and Augustine doesn't know what to do. He says, Rome has always been. Christianity was made, uh, it's kind of roots and birthplace in Roman culture, in Roman time. And Augustine stands at this kind of pinnacle of human time and history where Rome falls apart. And he doesn't know what to do. Because how in the world can Christianity go on without Rome? He thinks Rome will always be. And he understands Christianity to function within the consistent thing that is Rome. And it's only afterwards that we understand through 2020 hindsight vision that Christianity does just fine, does just fine without Rome. God's kingdom is so much bigger than any one nation, one capital like Rome. Things change. Uncertainty is always present. And Habakkuk, the uh, prophet we heard from, uh, was dealing with a lot of these sort of similar changes. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, I didn't even know there was a book of the Bible called Habakkuk. Uh, you know, it's really popular, like Hosea, Amos, and Obadiah. Lots of Obadiahs running around. Little Obadiah. Um, little Habakkuk. How many of you know a boy named Habakkuk? No, none of you? Exactly. No one names their son Habakkuk. Um, most of you might not be able to find it, because uh, it's in a section of the Bible we call the Minor Prophets, which is actually what it's titled. It's not like there were major prophets and minor prophets. If you're a prophet, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, you don't get like a minor salary as opposed to like a major salary. Uh, they're named that because of really the amount we have. So Isaiah and Jeremiah, these are the major prophets because they were long-winded. They wrote a lot. Um, and then you have Habakkuk, who's a contemporary of Jeremiah, but Habakkuk is just more my style. He, you know really likes brevity. And so he only writes four chapters. Thank you, Habakkuk. Jeremiah goes on for a little bit longer than that. And that's where you can find him. He's in the Minor Prophets of the Old Testament. And he uh, is writing around 5th, 6th, 7th century BC. We're not quite sure. The Babylonians, though, are the bad guys in the story. And they're on the doorstep of Israel. And they're coming, and they're going to sack the city. Jeremiah says that you should seek the welfare of the city. This is what God tells Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, while the enemy is on the footstep uh, of the country, goes into the real estate business. Everyone's selling stuff, and Jeremiah's like, I'll buy a plot of land because God told me to buy a plot of land. And people are like, you're a sucker. The Babylonians are coming, and they're going to destroy it all. You're going to buy it for 100000 It's going to be worth nothing. And Jeremiah says, I'm supposed to seek the welfare of the city because that's what God wants me to do. Habakkuk is in the same boat. He says, I'm going to stand on the ramparts and I'm going to watch the army crush our city and I'm going to look for the vision that God has for my people. You want to talk about uncertainty? He's standing there and it's going to go very, very bad. And God says, wait for it. Wait for the vision. Just wait. Slow down and notice where I'm at work. This is who Habakkuk is, and this is what he's writing about. The summary of it all is that Habakkuk is writing down um, a vision that God has for him. And we, like Habakkuk, if we are honest, live in uncertain times, do we not? 
I mean, the Texans are getting ready to play today. And uh, the over-under is 51, so I don't know what to put on the spread. Uh, if any of you got any inside bets, let me know. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. Who's going to win, the Chiefs or the Texans? Um, I hate to say it out loud, uh, but 2020 happens to be another election year, a year where I just turn off the television and the radio and I go, la, 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 because uh, it's just uncertain. No one knows anything, and uncertainty is difficult to live in the midst of. Uh, it hit national news last week. We'll talk about it a little bit later on in the service. Uh, the UMC meets again for our general conference every four years, and there's a lot of uncertainty in that. What's going to happen? And I shake my little magic eight ball, and I go, uh, what's going to happen? Outcome uncertain. <laughs> we live in times of uncertainty. You live in times of uncertainty in your families, uh, and with our jobs, with our vocations and our callings. What's next? What are you going to do in retirement? How are you going to give back to the community? Are you going to take the promotion at work? Are you going to drop your rate of pay? What are you going to do? Are you going to make a horizontal move inside the organization? There's all this sort of uncertainty that we navigate on a day-to-day -day basis in our lives and in our culture. So today, what, if anything, is the antidote for the uncertainty that we face? I would argue for the fear that we face. What is the antidote for the unknown? And I think it's both faith and vision. I think faith is that sort of having hope of things uncertain and unclear, things that we do not quite know or quite understand. And vision is something that God imparts for us and to us. So think for a moment about all the people in the Bible who faced uncertainty. All of the people you can think of in the Bible who faced uncertainty. A quick and dirty list, right? You got Moses wandering in the wilderness. And the people go, where are we going, Moses? <laughs> and Moses goes, we're following this uh, gigantic pillar of smoke for some time, maybe a day or two. Fast forward 40 years later, where are we going, Moses? Moses, we're following this pillar of smoke <laughs> for some time, maybe a day or two, one step at a time. You think about David and Goliath. What are you going to do, David? I'm going to get these stones, and I'm going to go out to that field and tell the giant what's for. And Saul goes, that's, that's cute. <laughs> that's hilarious. You don't understand, man. Like, anything can go wrong, and David goes, the Lord's on my side. If God is for me, who can be against me? And David marches out into that field with nothing but faith and a vision that God will deliver him in his moment of need. You think about Jeremiah, who is told to seek the welfare of the city, and the Babylonians are come to lay waste to Jerusalem. You think about Habakkuk, who's in the same sort of boat. You think about Jesus in the garden, and he knows that he has to go to the cross and that he'll be betrayed. You want to talk about uncertainty? And he says, Lord, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And Jesus does not get a response. You want to talk about uncertainty, about unknowingness. What do I do? Jesus remains faithful to the vision that he has. You have Paul in the early church who's being persecuted, imprisoned over and over again, and eventually will die a martyr's death because of the vision that he has, that the gospel is for all people, regardless of age, gender, or nation. It is not just for the Jews. It is for the Gentiles as well. And spreading this gospel is what gets Paul killed. 
but he's faithful to the vision that God has for him. There's too many more, right, to count. You talk about all the biblical characters who face uncertainty and yet pursue the vision. Uncertainty is a core part of our life. N.T. Wright, who's an author, he says that we live in a five-part play. Parts one, two, three have already been written. Part five has been written. Jesus comes back in final victory. The problem is, is that we live in part four. We live in act four of this play, and we need to figure out how to faithfully finish the play so that we get to act five. How do you live faithfully in that uncertainty? You think about the biblical narrative, we know how it begins in the Garden of Eden with a tree, and we know how it ends in the kingdom of God with a tree. We live between these two trees. How are we supposed to faithfully enact God's vision so that we arrive where God needs us to go? Vision helps drive our actions. Without it, we would be stuck in the sort of paralysis by analysis. Let me say this. Without vision, you have no way of asserting any sort of valuable thing in your life. If you don't have a clear vision, anything will do. You can do anything because you don't have a vision. So how do you prioritize and assess value for your actions? You do that by having a clear vision and understanding. So by holding your vision in front of you, it gives you clarity and direction. Chapel's vision is to raise a generation in faith. As we hold that vision in front of us, that organizes all that we do. Everything that we do is to raise a generation in faith. We've been doing that for about four, five years, depending on what document you read. Uh, it was around 2014, 2015, uh, that church council passed the vision, and then we restructured around that time. Um, and friends, I wonder what God is stirring up in us today. Um, at the time, church council approved it for three years, uh, and uh, that would have been 2017, 18, and it's 2020. And I think it's time that we assess how effective we were and where we are headed as a congregation. I want to invite you to join me today at the adult gathering. It's directly after the service. We're going to talk about uh, vision in 2020 a little bit as we uh, uh, pray together and hear each other and share stories about how God's been raising a generation in faith here at Chapelwood. I think it's to be celebrated. But what does it look like as our vision becomes primary? So... Friends, I want to, for 2020, I want to focus on two things. First, I want to focus on Chapelwood's vision. What's God's vision for Chapelwood? And second, I want to focus on a question for y'all, is what is God's vision for your life? What would it look like if in 2020 you had a personal vision statement? How would that reorganize your life? I know some of you, and I won't call out names of who, um, I had a great conversation with uh, someone in this congregation who says that they end every day with the examine. The examine is asking the question, where was I closest to God? Where was an opportunity for me to be close to God denied? And what can I do better tomorrow? You talk about an opportunity to align your mission, vision, and values as a person, by doing the examine, what a fantastic tool. What would 2020 look like if Chapelwood became crystal clear on its vision and organized all of its efforts, excuse me, all of its efforts around that? And if you as an individual were able to recognize your vision, what God is calling you to, and you organized all your action around the vision that God has for you. 
I wonder what it would be like. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.